0: from the Haymarket Pub and Brewery in Chicago, Illinois, this is
1: Bug House!
0: We are, we, and it, this is almost, I almost feel silly saying it at this point. Things are so polarized. Things are so hyped up, so amped up. No, they're not, gone. No, no, everything's just, it's the fucking 60s where we had, fl- no, it is the 60s where we had civil unrest and anger. This is the thing. If you were to notice how people argue today, The argument goes something like, and this is actually an argument David Kimmel and I had uh, very recently online, where it was, no, Don, you're wrong. No, no, David, seriously, you're wrong. No, you're wrong, no, you're wrong. Fuck you, no, fuck you, no, fuck you! And it just goes like this. It's like we've all become eighth graders, and we don't know how to actually have a civil disagreement with anyone, all right? So David and I noticed this. About a year ago, even. And we decided that, well, you know, in 1911, we had a similar sort of political landscape. Anarchists and communists, capitalists, and everybody was pissed off. And and Boss Tweedy and all these corrupt politicians. And so here in Chicago, Washington Square Park, they started debating. On soapboxes, and they called it Bug House Square. Now, Bug House is a pejorative for a mental hospital, which basically indicated that it was a crazy house of arguments. But they would get on there and they would debate the topics of the day. Jump cut to the 50s, Stud Stirkel noticed that things were again polarized and angry and assholes in charge. And so he revived the Bughouse Square debates. They continue today. I have like echo, echo, echo. That's so awesome, I can't stand it. Yeah, there's a lot of it, I love it, it's great. Anyway, I'm not gonna worry about it. Um, And they they created Bug House then. Bug House still goes today, they have Bug House debates. But David and I thought, you know, how how do you have that kind of a conversation in Chicago? You do a show. And so we're doing a show and it's Bug House. This is the art of the dialectic. will be climate change, chicken little, or Nostradamus. Empty call in the air. Uh, tails. Tails? It is heads, which means, Peter, you decide whether or not you go first or second tonight.
2: I, I want to get the bad news out of the way so she can go first.
0: All right, she's
2: going
3: oh. first. Oh. So, for climate change, chicken little oh. or Nostradamus. you want to hang out up here?
0: Are you he can sit here, he can sit down there, where he wants to sit. I,
2: I prefer to stay behind this
3: minute. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen,
0: MT Kazola, give her a hand.
3: Hi, guys. I guess I'm like the soft open. Um, and honored to be the soft open. Uh, so, here's my question Do the climate change deniers have it right? Are we all just a bunch of chicken littles running around screaming the sky is falling? My fellow Earthlings, I have been struggling with this question for the past couple of weeks, not only because I respect science, which I do. Um, I respect people who gather data and design controlled experiments and uh, you know, calculate results all to arrive at facts. And I'm sure my opponent, Peter, will give you some very impressive facts, like the amount of CFCs and water vapors and um, carbon monoxide in the atmosphere and how that's trapping heat that leads to the Earth's average temperature rising by some very specific amount that sounds really scary. But I've also struggled with this because I have a lot of problems with the Chicken Little story. (laughs) I I was an English major And I resent the way No matter which version of the story You read The narrator always tells the reader Things that Chicken Little cannot possibly know So we spend the whole story Judging her Or him In some versions it's a he But I kind of identify with Chicken Little And I identify as female So I'm going to go with her (laughs) They always tell us, right at the start, that it's an acorn that hits her on the head, even though she doesn't see it. So we know all along that she's just jumping to conclusions, right? Getting the whole farmyard all riled up for no good reason. And climate change deniers like to appropriate this story and use it as proof um, that people who go around saying, the sky is falling, or in our case, maybe the sky is failing, literally. <laughs> There's holes in it. It's like not doing its job of guarding us from the sun. Um, that those people are wrong. And this is hard for me to say, uh, especially in the presence of such a, a well-read and intelligent audience that I see before me. But the climate change deniers are right on. <laughs> And I hope that you can just all indulge me just for a few minutes. We only have seven, and I'm going to try to go fast. Uh, But as much as the Chicken Little story bugs me, I really believe that it is the definitive folktale for our climate change debate, and indeed, possibly for our entire fate as a species. So let's begin with Chicken Little. This is one of the things that bugs me. I don't know why she's called Chicken Little, because her name has no effect on the story arc. (laughs) It's not like Snow White, who's really pure, or Puss in Boots, who wears the big boots to impress everybody so they can fool them. No, her name is just Chicken Little, but whatever. So she's walking along in nature and an acorn bonks her on the head, only she doesn't know that it's an acorn, thanks to the narrator telling us that. Um, so she looks around, there's nobody in sight. Can't see that anybody threw anything. There's no bird flying overhead. So she thinks that it must be a piece of sky. Oh no, the sky is falling. Oh no, the Seychelles Islands and the Marshall Islands are disappearing. The sea levels must be rising. I'd better go tell the king. (laughs) So off she goes and she runs into Henny Penny another irritating name everybody chicken little runs into has a name that rhymes for reasons that have no payoff story wise i mean the name henny penny would be great if like the character were frugal always saving a penny and that ends up to be her demise or or maybe it saves the day like maybe she's been carrying around this grain of corn for no reason and and then like the dam is about to break due to quote climate change and she takes this piece of corn that everybody was judging her for and looking down on her for, for for hoarding for no reason and she sticks it in the little hole in the dam in just the right place and the water swells and the dam is saved and the climate is saved and the world is saved, but no, it's just like the easiest word that the writer could come up with that rhymed with Henny. So she runs into Henny Penny and says, oh no, you know, the." the sky is falling, I'm going to tell the king. And Henny's like, oh great, I'll come with you. That's terrible. So off they go and they run into Turkey Lurky, Lurkey not because he lurks about in corners, <laughs> gathering intel on our friends, but just because it rhymes with turkey. And they tell him, the sky is falling, we're, we're off to tell the king. Whoa, says Turkey Lurkey, I will join you and add my support. So along they go and gather a few other friends with lamely rhyming names like Goosey Lucy and Ducky Lucky. And then I guess the narrator just like ran out of actual words. And they run into Foxy Woxy, which isn't even a word. And they're like, the sky is falling. We're off to tell the king. And Foxy's like, what? No way. And they're like, yeah, Chicken Little's got the bump on her head to prove it. And Foxy says, whoa, that's intense. I'll I'll join you guys, but you know, I know where the king is and he's not in his castle right now. I'll lead you to him. Great, so they all follow Foxy through the forest and another story cheat here from this lazy narrator. The narrator tells us that he is actually leading them into his den, even though they don't know that, so we all get to laugh at them for being so gullible. And he leads them to the door of his den and he's like, yep, the king's right through there. And they all file in, and Foxy Woxy traps them, and kills them, and eats them. (laughs) End of story. (laughs) So what makes this folktale so brilliant? What makes this smug and lazily constructed story the one thing that all of us in this room should be reading? It ain't the acorn. It's what they do about it. If if we really believe that the sky is failing or falling, why do we allow ourselves to take one ride in a car that burns fossil fuel? Why do we spend one more second in the shower than we need to? Why do we accept even one plastic fork at a picnic? If Chicken Little had thought, yes, I'm little, and I'm a chicken. But I have free will. Maybe she would have stayed there and searched and searched until she found the cause of that bonk on the head. But searching for a piece of sky is lonely. And talking is comforting. Talking lets us focus on our listeners. Are they getting the message? Do they believe me? I can't stand here and tell you that the glaciers aren't melting or that there aren't holes in the ozone. But how do so many of us, including myself, respond? We read the emails and sign the petitions and wear the bracelets and watch the documentaries and tell each other about the documentaries. We're so busy spreading the word that we walk right into the fox's den, the fox with the bright red hair and the distractions that keep us thinking that we're doing something when all most of us are really doing is talking. Thank you. MT Gizola, <laughs>
0: climate change, Chicken Little, and now for the counter argument, Peter LeGrand, give him a hand. Uh, thank you.
2: Thank you. MT, that was great, and yes, you did prove that you are an English major. It's <laughs> this See, what are you doing? What are you doing to me? I just loosened it. Yeah, well, you know, that's what she said. That's why
4: he likes MT better.
2: There you go. All right, so now for some real science. None of this high in the sky, falling down on your head stuff. Let's talk about Nostradamus, the man, the legend. He was born in 1503, and he had advantages that we can only dream of. Nostradamus, or nosy, as I like to call him. He saw the future in the stars and he said to himself, that's what I'm talking about. Right from the get-go, Michael Nostradam was a man of fact, a man of medical science. And while of course the medicine of the day revolved mostly around leeches and bloodletting, it was still science, nonetheless. Let's take a little walk through his life and see how his predictions in his, about climate change are incontrovertible and thus make me the obvious winner of this debate. <laughs> The mere mere spelling stature of his name made it virtually impossible for him and the good people at Starbucks to screw up his name written on his cup. There was never a barista looking up in confusion going, Noah, no fat latte for Noah? Never happened. He never had drop calls on his network either. You'd think he had a pretty good life as a prophet, and he did, he was French. He was born Michael Nostradam, and you gotta admit, with a name like that, he was probably getting some good traction in the bars.
1: <laughs>
2: he did not let this slam dunk of a name with the ladies stray him from his course, though. He trained as a doctor, true to his Jewish roots, which you have to admit, is even more traction with the ladies. And even though they kicked him out of med school when they found out he was working on the side as a pharmacist, yes, this did happen, this is fact. <laughs> This was considered at the time, being a pharmacist, a manual trade. It was unskilled labor, if you will, and it was completely forbidden. You got to admit this guy was a man for all seasons. He had not yet become a prophet, a soothsayer, a foreteller of doom throughout the ages. But you know, you could see him as a labor organizer. The Jimmy Hoffa of his time. Which is maybe why he changed his name to the more Italian moniker, Nostradamus. Uh, questionable choice uh, because he probably lost a little traction with the ladies going Italian like that. I'm Dutch. I don't have a horse in this race. That's just my opinion. (laughs) Like I mentioned, you'd think Nosy, as I like to call him, had nothing but pearls and peaches as a lifestyle, but he was no stranger to adversity. His life was visited, like many others of his time, by the plague, something I think Nosy foretold to happen in our time, except we call it the (laughs) Trump. It was much better this morning in my bathroom when I was practicing. I found this on the internet. It's got to be true. Oh,
1: uh,
2: my goodness. Given all the, silence I've laid on, the science I've laid on you so far, you should just take my word for this. At the age of 15, he went off to college for his bachelor's degree. Shortly thereafter, the school closed down because of, yes, you guessed, the plague. He traveled. He worked as an apothecary for eight years. He tried to find an herbal remedy for the plague, and then he went back to school, where, as I mentioned, he got booted for apparent labor contract violations. But not before he invented something. Science, M.T. This is science. Are you paying attention? He invented something called the rose pill. Now I don't want to, that was supposed to ward off the plague. Now, I don't want to mess up his own science here. But shortly thereafter, his wife and his two kids died from the plague. But. Uh, a whole other thing he worked with other doctors to find a cure and throwing caution to the wind he remarried and had six kids what a great joy in his life this guy was YOLO before it was cool to be YOLO he died at the age of 53 from complications of having gout gout an old rich British guy's disease and in 1553 he dies of it hashtag nosy everybody come on Fun fact, back in Nosey's day, God was also called Dropsy.
1: <laughs>
2: dropsy deadsy. Yeah, I'm not kidding. It's, it's out there. Look it up. He even foresaw his own death, telling his secretary the night before he died that this was it. He died the next day on July 2nd, 1556. And I think the fact that we are sitting here 462 days later, almost to the day, talking about it, is even more proof that I know how to use the calculator on my phone. (laughs) And also, I think, further proof of the reality of climate change. I think for a variety of reasons, one of them being I have got seven minutes up here, and while that seems like a lot of time, well, anyways, it really isn't. But Nosy was a great guy, you gotta believe this. My man Nosy, he was a man of silence. At the age of 15, he didn't join the local neighborhood gang in France like others of his time. When he got to college, he didn't pledge with Gamma Gamma Baguette or whatever the fraternity of the time was. He simply put his head down into a big bucket of leeches and mastered bloodletting, better than most men twice his age. Given the facts available to him, his looking at the stars and telling us that Greenland would melt and raise the level of the oceans, this should be accepted as science. Nosey in his later years, he took to flame and water gazing. It's a thing an obvious reference to surfing the internet back in the day. (laughs) And he transposed his visions into almost a 1,000 prophecies that haunt us, haunt us still to sit and stare at a flame for hours on end and then tell us hundreds of years into the future that a country that didn't even have a name yet was going to melt and raise the levels of the ocean. Well, I want what he's smoking. Elevating his science training to a level that has not thankfully been seen since. My man Nosy, he looked to the future and he told us flat out, hey, kids, hold the CO2. Make mine a no-foam latte. In closing, ladies and gentlemen, climate change is as real as leeches and bloodletting. The facts are irrefutable. If you cross a 16th century picket line while you're working as a scab pharmacist, there's gonna be consequences. If you stop to smell the 16th century roses, you could get the plague. If you order a no-foam latte, people are gonna make fun of you, and that's okay. But if you pay attention to the words of another modern-day prophet, if you really take them to heart, you will see the truth of my man Nosy forecasting climate change in the time of leeches. I think we all know who this modern-day prophet is. He said, keep your head in the stars and your feet on the ground. That's right, Casey Kasem. More concrete proof, more concrete proof of climate change being real. And I'm sure you'll agree, climate change, like leeches, is indeed as real as no dropped calls during the 16th century. And I want to thank you right now for proclaiming me the winner of whatever the hell this is. Hashtag nosy science. Thank you. You just moved everything.
0: All right, let's get both of you up here. Both of you up here, because, you know, I mean, there's got to be judging. There's judgment to be done.
2: Can I take my Advil now? You
0: can, wait, wait for the Advil. (laughs) All
2: right,
0: so we've had climate change chicken little, climate change nosing. Matt, in your opinion, and without any regard for anybody else in this room, the 99%, who won the debate? There you
1: oh. go! Chicken Little! Yeah. MC Tizzolo wins the match!
0: Yeah. It's been one I've been threatening for the whole time we've been doing this. For 10 months I've been threatening to do this because I just think it's funny, is that it's probably the most contentious debate we will have tonight, in fact, is that some people love Star Wars. And yet some people love Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. Listen, okay?
1: <laughs>
5: I don't have a problem with Star Wars, okay? So just take it easy if you're all into Star Wars. It's fun. It's, it looks cool. Uh, I enjoyed it as a kid. Uh, whatever. Uh, but there's just no contest when you compare the two franchises, when it comes to who gives you more bang for your buck. And I'm gonna lay this out for you very methodically over the next uh, three pages. I hope I hit the seven minute mark, but I don't know, we'll see what happens. Okay, for starters, first off, uh, Star Wars is for kids, okay? And Star Trek is for adults, why? Well, because Star Wars was built to be a franchising, a merchandising platform to sell toys to children, and can essentially be reduced to a story about good and evil, uh, with a splash of mysticism and magic thrown in for good measure. Uh, But what about Darth Vader's redemption? (laughs) Surely that must count for something. It does, okay? Uh, And while Star Trek could be campy and silly, uh, when you consider the fact that Star Trek dealt with serious social commentary, uh, such as homosexuality, uh, racism, drug addiction, uh, reincarnation, and abortion, Star Wars is simply child's play. (laughs) And it can't compete. In a time where the Me Too movement is now on par with women's rights issues on both their bodies and their worth in the workplace, you'll always find a much bigger advocate for women throughout the Star Trek universe compared to Star Wars. Sure, uh, you know we had Padme and Leia, and uh, you know, we're both very strong female lead characters, brave and worthy of unending respect, uh, but Star Trek had O'Hara, uh, Uhura, wait, O'Hara, Uhura. I always—it's—it's it's, it's much better when I say it and I don't read it. The strong and fearless communications officer, Kate Mulligrew, helmed an entire ship as Captain Janeway. Tasha Yar, played by the great Denise Crosby, brought invaders to their knees as head of Enterprise security. Sha'na of Triskelion is cited by scholars as a prime example of an early female TV gladiator and a total badass. So, uh, the list goes on and on, but that's enough names for now. More proof, if you needed any, that Star Trek was made for adults. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Okay? Let's face it. Star Trek was so much sexier than Star Wars. Not only was there homogenous, everyday heterosexual sex, there was also interracial and interspecies <laughs> sex, okay? Star Wars just had a grandiose, romantic string kiss. But in Star Trek, people got it on. <laughs> Lest we also forget that Star Trek also broke racial barriers um, when it appeared and it featured the first on-screen kiss between a black woman and a white man all the way back in 68. Okay, yeah, that's right. Another area in which Star Trek proves its worth is the sheer amount of stories and characters to draw on. Uh, Let's take a look at uh, two of the franchises from a standpoint of a total body of work. Uh, What does Star Wars have? We have 10 movies and a cartoon series. For the uninitiated, people are drawn to the Star Trek series from the 60s, but Star Trek also had six more series, including The Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager, as well as a total of 13 films, okay? When you have that type of diversity, you also have the ability to draw on way more concepts uh, than merely good, evil, and redemption, uh, which are really the only big themes that Star Wars ever touched on. Um, Also, may I remind you that before there was Han Solo, uh, we had Captain James Tiberius Kirk, the original space cowboy who had so much swagger that he needed to be handled by an entire crew to keep himself in check. (laughs) Han Solo, on the other hand, didn't need to care about anyone else but himself and was essentially a selfish pirate driven to dangerous money-making ventures and fucking people out of their money that he owed them. If we're honest, Han Solo gets a lot of attention because he's a sexy bad boy, compared to Captain Kirk, who was a Boy Scout and faced death countless more times than Han Solo ever did. Han Solo was a selfish child compared to Captain James Tiberius Kirk, a man in charge of thousands of lives. Come on, James Kirk, everybody. Another angle, sometimes uh, something that many people overlook and compare in the franchises, is the villains. Uh, to put a blunt point to it, Star Trek's villains were way more badass than Star Wars villains. I mean, Darth Vader was cool, but he was simply a caricature of what a villain was, which made it much easier to market the story to kids. Star Trek's villains, their culture, their motivations, uh, their politics run much deeper and much more complex. Uh, it's part of the advantage of having such a large large body of work to draw upon. For instance, um, the Klingons and the Ferengis, okay, actually change over time. Uh, they improve, they become more complex than simply drawing their power from a magical well and being greedy. Uh, <laughs> then you have Ka! Khan's superior brain power came from selective breeding. Khan was bred to be a superior villain versus Darth Vader, whose powers came from being angry all the time. Yeah, anger, mommy daddy issues. Then there's the Borg. You guys know the Borg? Yeah. Okay? The Borg collective alone is more complicated and intriguing than the entirety of the empire. Get this, the Borg assimilates entire peoples and outfits them with prosthetic appendages. Once this happens, the Borg drones become connected to the collective consciousness. It's this collective consciousness that makes all decisions. Think about that. Think about that kind of brain power, just for one second. This race alone is the most complex ever seen in any major franchise of any kind. Blows the mind. (laughs) In the end, one of the biggest differentiators between the two franchises was that while the force deals with magic that resonates with very few people, and even fewer people can ever connect to it, The entire Star Trek universe is filled with scientists and engineers. The entire Trek franchise delved into scientific analysis and was much more about scientific and planetary exploration than merely, you know, much more than merely trade disputes and shooting things with blasters.
1: Pew, pew, pew!
5: (laughs) In Star Trek, they tried to avoid using violence at all costs and only used it as a last resort. It had a focus on science and human exploration from the start and the effect that this technology had on mankind. Sure, the force is cool, okay? But it's essentially quasi-religious mumbo-jumbo at its core. I mean, can you think of a bit of tech that's ever been seen today that's ever come from any Star Wars movie?
1: No? Okay.
5: Thank you, thank you. Yeah, that's toys. Don, toys. real lightsaber. No, no, not real. Let's pretend. Star Trek used real tech and influenced us with its communicators and tablets, while Star Wars never did. Or, to put it another way, Star Trek is about the future of humanity, and Star Wars is about the present and the past. Star Trek is all about how technology can change humanity. While Star Wars isn't interested in this at all, it's all about mythology and overcoming daddy
1: issues.
5: (laughs) No offense. Sure, swing sets and big wheels are nice. We got a lot of fun from them. But how many of us still play with these? It's fine to be a fan of Star Wars, but when you feel like growing up, it's time to move past magic and dive into complex societies that can help us figure out how to navigate where we're at now and where we're headed in the future. You can learn how to be a better citizen by watching Star Trek. I believe our current president might be able to learn how to be both arrogant and be a better, more compassionate person by watching Star Trek. Maybe I'll Tweet that and see what happens. Thank you very much.
0: All right. Todd Guttner, in favor of Star Trek. I actually don't, and this is not like showing any kind of favoritism, I, I, and this is not to undercut his greater point. Um, I, I did a, a thing uh, with WBEZ with scientists from Northwestern University, and, and, and they actually are making a lightsaber, a plasma sword does exist. So I'm, I'm just saying in terms of- FAKE
1: de-
0: NEWS! I'm, fake news, fake news. I just wanted to say that it's true and, and so, uh, not that, uh, you know, just- I But don't re- listen to a man,
1: it's totally fine.
0: It's totally fine. All right, ladies and gentlemen, for the flip side of that coin, Kelly LeBlanc, give her a hand.
6: <laughs> you guys, I'm, I'm really nervous. Not about this, though. I'm three weeks late. Um, So, when we're talking about... I probably shouldn't have said that. My husband's here, but...
1: Surprise!
6: When I'm thinking about the future, as far as it pertains to Star Wars or Star Trek, you know, I think it might be a little bit obvious where we are in real life, you guys.
1: <laughs>
6: a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. That sounds familiar, right? You guys have seen that scrolling yellow f- verbiage. <laughs> but while some Star Wars supposedly happened in the past, it's actually happening right now. And it will keep happening in the future. We've become a world and especially a country where Star Wars and things that it's accommodated with are all around us. Star Trek is nice and all, but it's become that weird old hippie aunt that you have that lives in Andersonville. And she comes to visit on holidays, but she doesn't drive, and she doesn't like to use the internet. you know, I'm not taking anything away from Star Trek. Uh, My dad's a very big fan. Uh, he likes Star Wars too, but, you know, just uh, hang in there, let me explain myself. Uh, Star Trek, you know, it came first. It turned everybody on to sci-fi and, you know, yeah, it was definitely a space opera, whereas Star Wars is a space (laughs) western. And yeehaw! Star Wars took a long time getting here, and it's just like stimulating a woman to orgasm, as some of you men may know. (laughs) It may take a minute, but once you get there, it's worth it. we all know it isn't necessarily the first, it isn't necessarily terrible coming first unless it's not you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The first way I would say that Star Wars is now, is now and also the future, is looking at the characters and how they relate to today. The Star Wars galaxy consists of an evil empire and that group of rebels trying to overthrow the government that is threatening their way of life. That, I mean, you guys, like, that sounds kind of like right now, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, seriously, where else is a crusty old white guy with a bad spray tan in charge of things? (laughs) He has no contempt for empathy, leadership, or how humans really should behave. And instead of lightning shooting out of... Emperor Palpatine's figures fingers, we have Trump shooting out ignorant tweets in the morning.
1: <laughs>
6: and Star Star Trek, who is their main main enemy? Ah, sorry. Who is their main enemy? The Klingons. I don't know, Klingons to me sound like something hanging on to Donald Trump's ass while he's writing those asinine tweets oh, in the morning. Oh, 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 oh. I lost you guys for a second. I'll bring it back. (laughs) The GOP is the evil empire, a.k.a. the man in black who's coming to town to destroy everything with death and destruction. Trump is the emperor, and Mike Pence is Darth Vader. But instead of half-man, half-machine killing people with his thoughts, he's just an insecure white male afraid of women and gay rights. (laughs) Steve Bannon is Jabba. (laughs) Kellyanne Conway, if you've seen the, uh, if you've seen the popular meme comparison, is clearly Bib Fortuna. A Star Wars character that has haunted me since I was six. Trump can be Jabba too. He looks enough like him, and his daughter, Ivanka, is pretty close to that yappy little thing that sits next to Jabba, if you're familiar. That's hellacious crumb. He looks like a Muppet or something. I don't know what the fuck he is, but. The rebels from Star Wars or the rest of us in the country are fighting to make this country not fall into the hands of those goose-stepping stormtroopers, their white supremacy. We all grew up wanting to be Luke Skywalker, Leia, Lando Calrissian, or maybe even Chewbacca, or maybe even Han Solo, because who doesn't like kicking ass fast women and fast machinery? (laughs) Our White House has become a modern-day Death Star, and if the current administration could install a weapon that would wipe out an entire planet with one blast, I'm sure Trump would be all over that, like a well-done steak. (laughs) Resistance is not about destroying what you hate, but protecting what you love. That's a quote from Star Wars, you guys. (laughs) But ironically, it also sounds like what everybody writes on their Facebook walls trying to get people more involved in fighting the, good, fighting the good fight. Like I said, who are Star Trek's main villains? The Klingons. Doesn't creep me out. But it does creep me out thinking about the fact it's very resemblance to Trump on the toilet tweeting. <laughs> that, that was a callback. <laughs> Star Trek's characters don't apply as well today as Star Wars. And yes, it was a groundbreaking show at the time for having Asian characters and African-American women characters, but those characters were bossed around by Captain Kirk. <laughs> Star Wars has Lando, who ran Cloud City, for Christ's sake. Yeah. Would Captain Kirk let you her run off and run her own city? Probably not, unless she was in a G-string.
1: <laughs>
6: the modern-day Star Wars movies have so many minorities in charge where the future of this world is heading. Nobody in Star Wars discriminates based on what planet you're from or how you look. The only thing that they care about is if you can fuck shit up and get the job done. That's why they let Admiral Ackbar, who was a resident of the planet Kalamari, become the leader of the rebellion. (laughs) To a victory against the empire should be in what we're trying to get at with this world and trying to get what this world, what we're trying to get this world to be like it doesn't matter if you're delicious seafood
1: <laughs> if you have good
6: ideas we will listen to you
1: <laughs>
6: lightly touching on the trade wars because normally I don't even acknowledge the uh, first three prequels they're dead to me but just today and please never mention this to anyone that I ever mention these out loud, but (sighs) they're terrible. But the whole movie is based on trade wars and exactly what our Emperor Trump is doing to us right now with his trade wars on China, Canada, and other countries we don't need to incite. Another reason why Star Wars is our present and future is because of the droids. we are a world obsessed with technology, machines, computers, and how they make our world better. C-3PO, while just a little annoying, and R2-D2 are the most well-known droids from Star Wars. And they're already here and being with us, used every day. Siri and Alexa are our modern-day protocol droids. And they're well-versed in over six million languages, although sometimes they don't know when I ask for a specific killer's song. <laughs> But speaking of R2 droids, I don't know if you know, but currently NASA and General Motors are working on their own R2 unit, which is an astromech droid, which currently will be designed to work in outer space and outside, and and can withstand the rigors of working in space, just like R2 did when he would be working on Luke Skywalker's ship and help fixing things when broken. Also, he didn't get sucked out into the space great unknown. So that always helps, because humans, I mean you've seen that George Clooney movie, it just doesn't end well. <laughs> uh, the Astromech droid may not have as much attitude as R2 did, or sound as whiny as 3, C- three CPO, but I'm sure there's times when Ceres wanted me to tell me to go fuck myself when I asked for the nearest 3 a.m. cookie delivery. <laughs> it's like I'm sorry, I'm stoned, I can't put that much work in. That's you're a smartphone. <laughs> I want to find the nearest place that will deliver me cookies, and this is my protocol droid at my fingertips. In the 80s, the Reagan administration came up with a strategic defense initiative system that was intended to protect the USA from attack by nuclear weapons. It didn't work out. But guess what they nicknamed that idea? It wasn't Star Trek. <laughs> We might not have had the technology for that then, but we're getting there. Elon Musk and Richard Branson will be working on spaceships for the modern day. Actually, Lance Bass from insync he wants to be one of those first people up on that spaceship, so we'll let him do that for us and just make sure it's okay. But I also bet lightsabers aren't too far off. Star Trek had beaming up, which was cool. But we all know how that will end up. You could get beamed up and your ass could be front forward. <laughs> While it's a parody, Spaceballs, I mean it, you know, it kind of makes a little bit
1: sense.
6: <laughs> I'm not beaming myself anywhere. <laughs> Until it's safe. Until then I'm following business class. I know that some people will take offense to my bashing of Star Trek and I'm not saying it's not applicable because where there's elements of it that were used and expanded upon, where Star Wars was created, But Star Wars took the idea of life in space and made it into something that, as the world we are becoming, also Disney bought it. So I mean, there's something there, too. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll leave with you one last quote from the most recent Star Wars movie, The Last Jedi. And I hope everyone will take this to heart and use this in your life, because we are all the Rebel Alliance. Resistance is not about destroying what you hate, but protecting what you love.
1: Yeah. Carol The scores. All right.
0: Matt. As objective, see, the thing about it is, and I know it's hard. It's hard. You know, because I, I actually, I love both, but I know, I know my leanings. So I'm going to ask you to set your leanings aside, hear the debate as you heard them. Who won the debate?
1: Star Trek. Star Trek! <laughs> i <I've> got <them.
0: laughs> And our third topic is the basis of the show, online vitriol. Now, one of the things that is coming to the fore, AT&T, the net neutrality stuff, is you know if you go to China, China throttles access to the internet. AT&T may be throttling access to the internet. The question is, with online vitriol, is it better for us to learn to self-regulate, or is it just better? Whoa, is it just better to have a government or a
4: corporation limit our ability to be fucking assholes? When I was a kid, my brothers and I would fight. Often it was over Nintendo or Sega Genesis. We'd fight over who could play when, who was better at one game or another, despite the levels or the points achieved, and who wasn't playing fair, as was often the case with Mortal Kombat, when one of us would repeatedly sweep the leg or use Sub-Zero to freeze and refreeze and refreeze and refreeze and refreeze and refreeze. Eventually, these fights would turn into fisticuffs, or worse, name-calling and yelling. And that's when dad would step in to ground us from Nintendo or Sega Genesis. He'd take the controllers away from us. He'd pull them out of the console, wrap them up, and hide them somewhere he thought we couldn't find them. If you can't play nicely, he'd say, you don't get to play at all. Without access to the video games, my brothers and I had no reason to attack each other with words or Nerf guns with butter knife bayonets.
1: <laughs>
4: Seriously, we did that. We would tape butter knives on the end of Nerf guns, and then, when the, and then when we ran out of darts, we would... The Chicago police are a bunch of fucking pussies, let me just tell you that much. In the short time that we've had the internet, and in the even shorter time that we've had social media, humanity has shown that it cannot play nice. Self-control Self-control is the very thing that got us into this online vitriol mess. Therefore, it is apparent that our Sega Genesis and Nintendo controllers be taken away from us and hidden somewhere in my dad's house, if you will. If you will. Let's look at a tangible example, since only hipsters, assholes, and my brothers still play Nintendo and Sega Genesis. Real men play Atari.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
4: We should do that. We should do, yeah, like uh, uh, like Pitfall or Pong. Like, what's the more manly Atari game?
0: Adventure. Shit. All right. Yeah. All
4: right. Okay. Class. All right. Um, All right. So something more tangible. Some of you here tonight may recall a few years ago when my opponent, Don Hall. was nearly reduced to rubble when a gang of angry, vengeful people, some of them former friends of Don's, came after him hard online. If you were to look through the tempestuous sea of posts and comments, you would find that while some of his attackers may have had understandable grievances with him, much of the language and rage spewing out was far from constructive and even farther from rational. If he hadn't been the tough son of a bitch he was, and even tougher now as a result of having gone through it, Don Hall may well have had, have had to remove himself from online entirely. Forced to settle on the island of ostracica- of Saint. Ostracisa- ostracization? What the, the fuck? Drink, I'm ha- no, it's a stroke.
1: Okay. <laughs> ostracization. Oh, there you go.
4: Yeah, are you? Good
1: enough.
4: I'm buying Velcro shoes tomorrow, cause I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, I- And I rehearsed that word, too. That was the funny (laughs) thing. All right. Uh, Yeah. yeah. So so Hall survived the onslaught, and he's better for it. But his survival was not without significant losses, such as friends, allies, access to social circles, and even employment. Now, this was years ago. And there are still instances when people who were not even involved in the vitriol firestorm but know of it have held inaccurate accusations against him. In May, I received attacks from the leaders of the hall hate parade and I had absolutely nothing to do with the shit that went down all those years ago. Guilty and hated by association. I don't care. I thought it was funny. <laughs> but that's no way to function in a society that ever expects any sort of peace or true progress. See, part of the problem with the online comments is that they're being left by people who can't write. They type wildly on their keyboards, leaving behind emotionally disjointed arguments riddled with grammatical errors and other less egregious typos. When a piece of writing is so ripe with mistakes, it becomes impossible to discern the person's tone or even completely comprehend what may have otherwise been a sound point. Grammar and punctuation exist to convey a message, not just a reason for your high school English teacher to pick a favorite, like M.T. (laughs) So fact check me on this. Go home tonight and fish for an online battle royale. I'll bet 20 bucks, now I'll, all I have is 20 bucks. I'll bet, I'll bet the last 20 bucks that I have that the person with the least amount of errors in their writing was making the most thoughtful and respectful arguments. Furthermore, because of how quickly the online vitriol happens, it becomes nearly impossible to stay the course on any response because the moment you hit post, Seven other emotionally and irrationally charged comments have thrown anchor under the comment you were responding to. That makes your sensible writing appear out of focus and even insane, and so you'll be attacked further. Because we can't puzzle piece together the comments. Who has the time to do that? And you can't insert replies where they best belong. What may have begun as an attack on one subject quickly devolves into a screaming match between known enemies, former friends and complete strangers about a dozen other things. It's hard to keep up. This is the fault of the algorithms built into websites and social media. And who built these algorithms? We did. The vitriol we're seeing online is not only self-righteous throw-up, it's also a heavy puking of misinformation, lies, false accusations, dare I say fake news. Ann Coulter, Alex Jones, Huffington Post. These people and institutions thrive and only succeed on their vomitorium of vitriol. Attacking their opponents and worse, encouraging their believers to get charged, be inspired. Vitriol begets vitriol. Keep in mind that this is not a high school cafeteria. This isn't just mean girls. It's not a cute movie. These are adults, adults who teach and raise children. These are supposed to be responsible citizens. But our citizenry is far from responsible. We have shown that we cannot be trusted to A, manage our rage, B, create a forum to engage in online debate or discussion without losing our minds, and C, tell the difference between truth and lies. What's more is that we all get butt hurt way, way too easily and take things way, way too seriously. We protect our emotions as if to the Holy Grail under siege from Nazis, yet we parade them around in the open air like JFK in a convertible. <laughs> of course people are going to shoot at us. We're all easy targets with something to prove. So David, what should determine what is said and, and what's not said? Or, I'm sorry, who should determine what's said and what's not said? Shut up, please. That's a great question. I'd say my dad should do it. He handled the video game situation moderately well, but dad isn't on Facebook and has no interest in that shit, so I suggest the comments be removed from online articles. Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and a lot have their platforms completely revamped, so they are no longer forums for public discussion. Instead, people can email the writer of online articles directly, engage with them in a manner that has been the process for centuries before the internet came to be. Letters to the editor? Totally acceptable. Essentially, we slow down or remove the ability to do battle at every turn of engagement. This allows people to think through their arguments, and in most cases, we'll find that the lunatics can't be bothered to write a letter to the editor or assault the writer. They can just sit back and stew and bitch about it to their friends and coworkers. They can organize protests that lead to real action and not just name-calling. This will allow the best of us time to process what we read and determine what has merit and what does not. The fringe on both ends will eventually retreat to where they belong, on the fringe. Social media will become a, a, place, to, a place to be basic voyeurs, reaching out to the individual directly only if we really, really have something to say to them. Yelp will become a fodder as actually, or already is, and eventually go under because Yelp has always been completely useless in my experience, Far less trustworthy than the professionals who spend years and true talent on writing reviews and suggestions. But David, that didn't answer the question of who would oversee this if none of us are to be trusted to do right. Thank you for bringing me back from my digression. Who? Well, the government, of course. Our government? Oh, fucking Jesus Christ, no. We need an all new government. I nominate Denmark's government. (laughs) There's a country not so embroiled in violence and hate among its own citizenry. Let Denmark drive for a while. Give us a break, a chance to rest our eyes and minds. When we wake, we'll hopefully see things clearly and stopping such assholes. Maybe then we can get some control and our controllers back. Don Hall sucks, thank you.
1: David Himmel!
0: Online vitriol.
1: Uh,
0: And only seven minutes to cover the topic. Oh, shit. I'm drinking a beer in a public place.
1: <laughs>
0: I mean, you guys aren't gonna rat on me, right? You're not. I mean, you're not gonna say anything. You're not. You're not gonna turn. We're all on the same page here, right? I mean, some of you are drinking alcohol, right? Right? You're, you're drinking alcohol, right? We're like a room full of communists in the age of the HUAC or abortionists in 1982. I mean, you wouldn't rat me out, right, you motherfuckers? Ever since prohibition became the law of the land, a guy can't just kick back and have... Oh, wait a minute. Prohibition was repealed. It was revoked because it was obvious to everyone that a government or corporation outlawing something people really want is fruitless. It causes people to seek out the banned thing, and crime surrounds it. Organized crime blossoms under the boot, on the neck of people who will not be denied their booze, or sex, or Sega Genesis. And yet, we keep trying out that model, like supply side economics, and like that trickle down of absolutely fucking nothing, continue to demonstrate how po- pointless and counterproductive it is. One would think that either we can't read the history books, or they've been carefully tailored to favor the richest, whitest men in the supercilious tale. Quote I hate exercising self control unquote, supermodel Kate Upton. I don't think I need to illustrate the rampant idiocy that has developed from the introduction of social media to the world. Christ, the premise of this show is predicated upon it. Further, the idea that I, of all people, am arguing in favor of self-control when it comes to online discourse is kind of a joke. (laughs) I have a 20-year reputation for being an online flamethrower for 12 years. My blog was called An Angry White Guy in Chicago. I am known by many to be that guy who shit all over someone's show, shit all over political positions, and can meet hostility with better, more defined, and more brutal hostility. But somewhere around November 2016, I realized that I was just as much of a dickhead as the new resident of the Oval Office. Sure, I was on the side of the progressives, but I was just as name-calling, just as ad hominem. But I realized, for all of my alpha male Kirk, that's a callback. (laughs) The world needed more Spocks, less raw emotion in the arrogance of the passionate and more logic and dispassion. And while far, far from Vulcan, I'm working on it, especially online. The internet is an extraordinary tool. It has provided us with almost limitless communicating possibilities. I can see what friends thousands of miles away are up to and call my mother face to face. We can promote our ideas to more humans in one message than any time in history. Like the printed page, movies, radio, television, and the computer, the internet is still only a means to distribute and consume information. And we weren't ready for it any more than we were ready for the telephone or Hot Pockets. But we figured it out. Right now, it has become an outraged symposium sprinkled with photos of cats and babies and food. Videos of adorable dogs who act like people, followed by someone trying to drum up a boycott of happy days because Henry Winkler wasn't Italian or cool. It's become a monstrous soapbox with room for every crank and shit stain on the planet to stand on and scream like every meth-addicted or mentally unstable homeless guy suddenly got Comcast and a Twitter handle. Quote... All that self-control stuff. I tried all that stuff from analysts. I went everywhere to these guys, every kind of anger management, psychologist, psychiatrist. get rid of my temper, get rid of my temper. And there was only one guy who just said, I don't think this is related to uh, issues. I think there's gotta be something wrong. Harvey Weinstein. It seems that the outrage is worse than it was before, but I don't think that's so. I think we're all just so exposed to the outrage more and from smaller and now latter segments of the population. I feel certain that there were discotheque men's rights activists out there raging at how unfair it is that women were actually standing up for equal pay and against the systematic marginalization heaped upon them in the 1970s. If you don't read history, you should remember the Equal Rights Amendment push. but you had to be in the same room with these fucking idiots to hear their wands. <laughs> the biggest difference in our manufactured vitriol that I can see is the hyperbole and exaggeration is so associated with the rhetoric. This situation is wrong and should be addressed. Has now become inflated to Hitler comparisons. Our president is an asshole translates to, oh my fucking God, Trump is destroying democracy. that was in camps (laughs) anyone deemed to even mildly question your premise or ideology is worthy of the worst you have in terms of damning comebacks Facebook mob justice and, and pitchfork waving boycotts I'll get you fired from your job scorched earth politics of destruction by way of the digital highway people who in person would say that words are hurtful and shouldn't be used to cause harm, but once online and fueled by the fury of the Facebook crowd, think nothing of piling on the vitriol and hateful combination to destroy someone they perceive as getting away with it. And with the instantaneous nature of information on the web, taking a beat to check your facts and make sure you're correct and your assumptions of righteousness are all but extinct, we love nothing more than feeling morally superior to others. Each of us revels in the idea that we're on the righteous side of history, that we are part of something bigger and better than the status quo, that our cause is the cause. Our rage is fueled by the sense that we are the champions of some fucking cause which automatically instills a sense of entitlement and battle readiness. If we are on the side of right, then we are also the victims of those on the other side. There is hope for us, I believe. Quote, if you can learn self-control, you can learn anything, unquote. Dwayne The Rock Johnson. (laughs) Just as we adapted to the new media presented through the history of communication, I'm confident that we will adapt to the overload of the internet and slowly tune out those truly petty claims to outrage, much like we tune out the insane guy on the block who rants about the alien probes up his ass and Jesus coming to save us on Tuesday. (laughs) Technology has not always produced the atomic bombs and fossil fuel created climate apocalypse. In fact, it mostly produces huge leaps in our lifespan, in our abilities to shrink the planet in positive ways and in methods in in improving how we communicate in an ever-growing population. All it will take is a little self-control, a little self-regulation. And I'm gonna use my opponent's words to prove my point from the literate ape article, debate is dead, long live debate by David Himmel. (laughs) Quote, the problem is that healthy debate appears to be dead or at least at best on life support in a hospice bed providing infected bed sores rather than rational thought. I don't want to waste your time or mine typing out yet another explanation of how Facebook and Twitter and comment sections have allowed self-aggrandizing and singular thought and vitriol to run rampant. We know it exists. The internet has allowed us to wallow and thrive at this kind of shouting match and that's all it is. Rare is it that you'll find a good debate of any kind of quality in a Facebook thread. I believe he said as much in his debate, but he also wrote. A few years back, I got into it with a pastor from Las Vegas about breast implants on a mutual friend's page. (laughs) His point of view was that women who undergo breast augmentation do so because they have low self-esteem and they have low self-esteem because they have not fully accepted Jesus. Of course, that's complete nonsense. And he and I debated the various points, of which there were many. Throughout the debate, we remained respectful to each other. And he did recognize my points and admitted that he ought to approach the actions of others with less absolution based on his experience and thoughts. It wasn't a full concession, and that was fine. I didn't want to be right. I just wanted him to see that there were other sides to the coin he hadn't considered. He and I became Facebook friends and engaged in liking each other's posts with the occasional friendly debate on issues that were really, really weren't all that important in the long run. I liked that pastor. And when he died of a heart attack a few years later, I was a little bummed out. I never met him in person, but it was clear to me that the, po- the world lost a man of passion and purpose and reason. We need more people like Pastor Jimmy Mack. I agree with David Himmel that all it takes is a little bit of respect and self-regulated absence of outrage to use this amazing tool to create bridges between people rather than scorch fields of ash. Thank you.
1: All right, Matt.
0: Matt, you are the one determiner. I don't want you to even think about the fact that I chose you as the judge.
1: (laughs) Uh,
0: Eliminate that. That is partisan politics.
5: Self-regulation.
0: Self-regulation. Wait a minute. What What the? You've been to my home. He just voted for it. And that is, that is the beauty of it. Thank you, I win. That's honest, that's fair. That is honest, that is fair. And
1: that's how it works. And that is how it works. So now
0: is the time for you as the audience to truly behave like a democracy. I'm gonna put my hand over everybody's head and you are going to applaud the loudest. Cheer, be insane, not based on your affiliation, Rory, with your wife, but on the best debate of the night. This person will win a growler of beer. So, David Himmel is putting his hand over. Go! M.T. Cazola. Oh, over with, over attack. Yeah.
4: Like this Kelly. is this is a rematch. This is In Tom Ray. Kelly.
0: So you guys yeah. stepped inside Three of Tom times. Kelly. Yeah, Come right. over here. You, yep, we're done. you only get to choose <laughs> one. Go eight ship for the one you like the best.
6: If I lose, we're doing we're doing a, a record together later. Totes.
0: <laughs> okay, go, ah! Kelly. Yeah! Yeah!